I know the announcements are coming up later, but just so you know, um, uh, we are hoping and, and planning and already beginning and moving towards um, having a display in our parking lot this Christmas with lights and cutouts of the nativity figures and other Christmassy decorations so that people that drive by can pull in and, and drive through and just see and, and, and kind of a, a bless our community and in something that doesn't really matter about weather. We already have people who have stepped up to, to, um, to cut out and paint and stuff, but we, we want to we create a place where people could just drive through. I mean, in, in, in our city, people are looking for that, and this is our opportunity. We, God has given us the best location uh, possible, actually. I mean, we're on one of the second major street in our city, so... Um, we could still use some, some help with that. We'll be doing some setup, and you know, anyway, just contact Elisa or Amy if you're, if you're interested in that. That's our opportunity just to be a blessing and to just, just share the message of Jesus in, in a very non-confrontational or offensive way, right? So anyway, what I love about October is we get our college students back and, and just, we've had some several weeks where we've been blessed with college students. So welcome back college students, good to have you back. And, uh, we're talking today about the peril of prayerlessness. What happens when you don't pray? What happens when you deliberately choose not to talk to God? Where you just say, no, I refuse to. I will not. What happens? And I believe that the story of Jonah actually answers that question for us. I was reading it this summer and thinking about what I'm going to preach this, you know, in, in this series. And I was like, hey, wait a second. There is a lot in this book about prayer. So I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to circle around to Jonah and we're going to look at it from a different angle. You might know Jonah as the story of the great fish. And, and there was a period of time in the modernist controversy when, you know, people were like, oh, that's not a true story. How could that happen? Blah, 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 blah. And there's so much in the Bible that, that, that sparks that kind of controversy, right? Because whenever God acts in creation, people are like, how could that happen? Because it's God. That's how it can happen. Now, we're not going to get stuck up on the whale, but it's interesting what happens when you don't pray. The book of Jonah starts in chapter 1. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. He's a prophet. This is the prophetic um, formula. You know, the, God's word would come to you. You would share that. You would go and, and do what he told you to do, say what he told you to say. This was a great honor, a great privilege to be a prophet of the Lord in the Old Testament era. I mean, oftentimes God's people would be straying away from him. He'd send a prophet with a message. Okay, tell them to, to do this, to straighten out, to come back to me, and, and to experience my blessing. Jonah is such a prophet. His previous message in, in 2 Kings is this message of prosperity and victory to Jeroboam, which is kind of surprising. And so he's had actually really nice messages, popular messages, and now he's about to get a message that he doesn't really like. But he is receiving from the Lord a message. God is speaking to him. Now, in our modern era the dispensation of the church. We don't need specific direct revelations from God. Why? Because he's given us his complete revelation in his word. So, so, so while God does impress upon our hearts and, and you know, tell us to stop and feed someone, whatever. I mean, he does give us those impressions of the Holy Spirit, but, but when it comes to, to messages, revelation, he's like, this, there's everything you need is right here. 
So for us, you think, okay, now you may not get this direct message like Jonah did, but you might be reading God's word and all of a sudden the, the, the verse just jumps out, you know, and starts to strangle you because you're like, whoa, this truth is really constricting to me right now. And you have to respond to it. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And look what it says in verse 2. He says, get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Now, there's a fair bit in this verse. Now, those two beginning points, get up, that's a command. Go, that's a command. It's not, hey, what do you think, Jonah, about maybe getting up and, you know, would, would you like to do this, Jonah? God's not negotiating. He's not like that parent with their toddler in the, in, you know, in the grocery aisle. Well, no, I don't, you know, do you want that? Oh, do you want this? Do you want, you know? Like, no, God's like, get up, go. And go to that great city, Nineveh. Um, Nineveh was the rising superpower of the time. They were capturing neighboring provinces and area, and they did it with this abject brutality and a complete disregard for the dignity and value of human life, similar to some of the atrocities that we've seen in the news recent times, where terrorists have attacked a country and, and, and done horrible things. This is the Assyrian reality. Horrible. Awful. Uh, spine-tingling just, uh, just, just violence. So you got to understand, when you hear the word Nineveh, you, you just got to think of, of the most evil nation you can imagine. People that have no disregard for life or dignity. I mean, they, they, go, they would go in, and then, you know, if you resisted them and they finally captured you, you know, they'd take you. They, I mean, they were known to flail people alive, basically to skin you while you were still living. They loved to leave a big pile of skulls outside the thing, or, or they would have a big post and they put eight skulls on top. I mean, they were just awful, horrible, despicable nation. And yet God's like, go to them. I have a quote here. Uh, uh, In the minds of the listening circle, Nineveh stood for the essence of human self-exaltation and anti-God power. Just this wicked, evil nation. And God's telling Jonah to walk into that viper nest. He is, let's go back to the verse there if we could, and just, uh, you know, uh, he's supposed to preach against it. Now, can you imagine walking in and, and, and preaching that kind of message? Um, and I know what this feels like, because sometimes I, I go to places where you're the only, you know, preacher or, you know, Christian present, or you're the very small minority, and, and everyone there is just kind of like, when is this guy going to leave? I do funerals like that, I do weddings like that, they're just kind of like, ah, well, let's look at the parson out of here so we can finally have a good time, right? I mean, there's this, and then he's like, go and preach against it, and can you imagine, are these, are these people going to be receptive to this message? They are the dominant superpower of his time, they, they get, you know, they, they gain dominance by intimidation, by violence, by oppression, and he said, now go in there and preach, because I am aware of all of their evil. Do you see that? You need to take note of this, people. Because a lot of you, like me, are concerned with the evil in our world today. It drags me down. But when I read verse 2, it, it tells me that even though it seems like God isn't doing anything, he is always aware of it. Don't forget that fact. 
He is aware of especially powerful groups that are trying to control the world. That, that say, we don't need God. We are in control without God. And nowhere in the scriptures, when a group of people try to do that, it always fails. They're building a tower to the sky. Boom, God comes in. You know, every time people try to do this, it always fails. If only they would be good students of history, they would learn this. But no, we, you know, big foundations get together, and we are the smartest, wisest, wealthiest people. We'll tell you how to live, and we don't need God, and we control the weather, and we control health, and we control everything. And, and we come to the picture and say, no, you don't control it. God is in power over all those things. But our world is sinful, and there is stuff that goes on all the time. And we can't reverse that. But, you know, no matter how hard we try, we are never going to stop God's perfect plan from coming to fruition. But go and preach it because I'm aware of what's going on. So be encouraged, people, today. God knows what's going on. He sees it, and he holds us accountable. But Peter would say in, in 2 Peter, like, like, yeah, it seems like God's taking his time, but it's because he's patient. Because he's hoping that people will continue to come into his family. He wants to keep adopting children into the, to the forever spiritual family, which is heaven and, and Jesus Christ. And so he's patient and, and, and allows this kind of stuff to continue because he's like, yeah, I still want to see people come to know me, even though there's horrific stuff going on in the world. But he sees it. In verse 3, it says, um, Jonah gets up. And if you stop there, like, oh, he's going to obey. But look what he does. He gets up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down to go into with him to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. Notice three times it mentions this, this Tarshish. Um, Tarshish would have been uh, a long ways. I've got a map here. Uh, one, you know, it's like Gibraltar, essentially, in Spain. But more than that, actually, Tarshish represented the furthest known location from where you lived. When I was a kid, we called this Timbuktu, right? You're going to go to Timbuktu, yeah, you know, or Ikalakwit, you know, for your kids today, right? Go way up into the north of frozen Hibernia, you know I mean? This is like, I'm going to get as far away, 2,500 miles, Nineveh is about 500 miles, John. I'm going to get as far away from God as I possibly can. Three times it mentions Tarshish, Tarshish, Tarshish. He doesn't want to do what God has asked him to do. And he is running away from God. Now, it's really interesting. Like, Jonah actually has really good theology. He knows the truth. He just doesn't want to live it. He doesn't want to respond to it. But he, he actually is quite embedded in, in who God is. And, and, if, and, and it's really surprising because, I mean, the psalmist would say, yeah, where can I flee from your presence? Nowhere. To think that I can escape God. If I just get away to a place that's never heard of God, doesn't worship God, there's no Jewish synagogue over there, there's not, I'm just, I'll be safe over there. No, no, no. He'll find out that you can't run away from God. Now, I just want to stop here for a moment. Uh, let's go back to the verse. Jonah has a few options here. In the Bible, biblical record, what we find is when people encounter a message from God that they're uncomfortable with, they are allowed to have a conversation with him. The ladies discussed that this week. M Moses. God's like, Moses, let, you know, lead your people out of Egypt. And he's like, me? What are you talking about? You know, and there's this dialogue, and God even gets a little bit frustrated with Moses, you know, because he's like, come on, Moses. I'm telling you to do this, you know, and, and, and so on and so forth. But, I mean, you can, t you can ask God questions. 
Gideon is, is there in the period of Judges. He's, he's hiding in a wine press, flailing grain, and, you know, the angel of the Lord appears to him. He's like, Gideon, rise, mighty warrior. You're going to free your people. He's like, are you talking to me? Serious? You know, and he's struggling with the message, but he's, he's talking to God. You see this? In the New Testament, even a better example is Ananias, who, who um, you know, Saul has met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he's in this house in Damascus, you know, in Damascus, and he's blind, and God appears to Ananias, who, who is praying, or, and he receives this revelation. He's like, yeah, go to that house and pray for him. He's had a vision of you coming. He's, he's expecting you. And, and Ananias, he answers the Lord and says, like, God, you know who this is? This is Saul of Tarsus. He's got a letter saying he can arrest anyone. I mean, he stood there and watched Stephen get stoned. You're, you're asking me to go to this guy. And God's like, yeah, I've chosen him. Okay, God. And he goes, right? So you, you can talk to God, but Jonah doesn't talk to God. You notice this? No communication. Get up, run away, run away, down, down. He's going down a job. He's going down into the ship. He's going down, 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 away from the Lord's presence. Twice that's mentioned. I can escape God, but why would you want to? In verse 4, it tells us, the Lord, but the Lord threw a great wind on the sea and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. You know, God's, God's in, in, in control of, of this narrative. You know, he, he's causing things to happen. He is trying to get Jonah's attention. You know, he throws, he hurls this, this you know, this 100-mile-an-hour fastball at Jonah. You know, and it hits the ship, and it's like cracking the ship. Now, understand, we've got seasoned sailors on this ship. We're going to introduce them in a moment. They wouldn't set out to see if they were at all aware that there would be a storm present on there. They would stay in the port, stay at anchor, wait till the storm passed, and then they'd go out. So, so they're caught by surprise. This storm comes from God. Sometimes God will send storms into your life that are a direct result of your disobedience to him. Not every difficulty you face is a storm that's from God, but, but there are times when you build a storm because of what you've done. And Jonah knows it because he'll talk about it later. But I mean, he's, he has disobeyed God. He's trying to run away from God. And God's like, you can't run away from me. And I need to reinforce this truth in your life, Jonah. So I'm, I'm going I'm to cause circumstances to, to get you to acknowledge me. I'm telling you guys, when the storm comes, the thing to do is to stop to repent, to acknowledge God, to turn back to him, and to discover the relationship renewed with him. Not to keep running. But sometimes we, you know, we, we dig a hole so deep we think, oh, I'm stuck, and we just keep digging, and God's like, just stop digging, turn to me, repent, and I will receive you back. And maybe this morning you're in a storm. Maybe you've caused the the drift in your life because of bad choices. And God just invites you as a loving father to come home. I've got abundant mercy and forgiveness for you. You don't have to be afraid of me. Uh, Come talk to me. But Jonah's not talking to him. He's running away. The storm comes. It tells us that it's so bad in verse 5. The first part, the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. I mean, they, they, you know, so, so who's praying at the beginning of this story? It's not Jonah. It's these pagan sailors who are used to, to sailing the high seas, probably Phoenicians. And, and now it's getting so desperate, like, this is not a normal storm. 
this is an abnormal storm. And, and this obviously has, has some divine, you know, interference in it. So we need to call out to our gods. And there they are. They're, they're praying to their little idols. They're throwing the cargo into the sea. I mean, this is, their, this is what you get paid to, to haul. But they're so desperate. They're like, we're going to die. They're throwing, they're throwing. They're, they're praying, they're throwing. I have this quote here. When prayer is not a way of life, it becomes a last resort. You've probably been there. You've done everything you can. <laughs> you, okay, Lord, help. But it's amazing that God will even hear that prayer. But look in the latter part of verse 5. It tells us, but Jonah, meanwhile, Jonah had gone down into the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. Oh, the same word is used to describe Adam when God put him to sleep and pulled the rib out and made Eve, you know, but like he, he's out of it. He is stone cold sleeping through this horrible storm. He is spiritually numb to anything that's going on around him. Doesn't care. He is stuck in the dark hole of his own circumstances. This is what happens when you run away from God and you don't talk to him. You try to create uh, your own life, your own plan, your own path. You end up in these dark places where it just, you know, you're just numb. You're numb. He's in this deep, deep sleep. The, the, I mean, this, the ship is like tossing and turning. In the Gospels, we have such an account where Jesus is sleeping, and he gets up and looks after it. But here, this is kind of the opposite. You know, Jonah is sleeping, you know, and he's, because of his disobedience, the storm has come, and, and he doesn't care. People are going to die on this ship because of him. He doesn't really care. The old preacher, M. R. D. Heim, would say this. Um, Sin is a narcotic. A spiritual anesthetic which beclouds reason, stifles conviction, twists character, and perverts our will. Because of his sin, others were in peril of death, and he lay quietly sleeping. There he is. And in verse 6, finally, he is confronted by the captain. The captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up! Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. You know, they've exhausted all their gods. Like, well, maybe this guy, get it, sleeper, what are you doing? Get up. Like, we're, ready, we're about to die here. Maybe your God can help us. Isn't it amazing that a pagan sailor is addressing a prophet of the Lord and telling him to pray to his God? In your flight away from God, you will encounter people that will trip you up with your own faith. Because they'll be like, shouldn't you pray? And you'll be like, oh, I haven't prayed in, since I did, you know, committed this rebellion. And, and now, now, you know, unbelievers are telling me to, to, to believe and to have faith. And it's like, it's like what, what? you know, and, and here he's, he's being shamed by this sailor. And, and you understand sailors. Sailors, you know, they have a, a reputation, a character, you know, a certain type of people. Right? You don't let your, your girls date sailors. You know, like they're, they're not nice people, but here they are. They become religious, and they're like, hey, why don't you pray to your God? Maybe, maybe he can help us. But, but nothing is happening. So like, we've got to figure out whose fault this is. And so in verse 7, they said, come on, sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots. The lot singled out Jonah. So they're, you know, they're casting lots. Probably these two stones with a white side and a dark side, right? So if you got the two white sides, then you were the one, right? So they're, you know, they're, they're, they're casting. You know, it's not him, not him, not him, not him. Oh, it's you. It's you. 
the sleeper, the foreigner, the paying passenger. This is interesting. And so then they get to pepper him. It's like the interrogation. You see this in verse 8. Then they said to him, tell us. Who is to blame for this trouble we're in? What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? I mean, he's like, you know, like 100 questions at once. How do you answer all those questions at once? But Jonah answers very simply, verse 9. He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. Oh, Hebrew. Now, notice he asked Jonah to pray. We don't have any record of Jonah praying. So he said, pray to your God. He doesn't pray. They cast lots. They figure out, oh, it's you. He identifies now, yes, you worship the Lord. This is Yahweh, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. And then you'll see they're really surprised. He said, verse 10, the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, what have you done? Literally, and that's, this is the translation, but it's like, like, what are you thinking? Your God is the God of the sea, and you got into a boat? Like, duh! Like, what are you doing? Get into a boat if your God is the God of the sea! Like, like get on a mountain or crawl into a cave somewhere, but on a boat, really? Like, what kind of moron are you? You know, like, they're, they're just shaking, and what have you done? And it says, the man knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he told them, and they're like, this is why this storm is happening. You're the reason! Ah! You know, and then there's this great fear in their heart. Like, this is a powerful God. And then when you run away from him, he's going to get your attention. So, verse 11, they said to him, what should we do to you? So the sea will calm down for us, for the sea was getting worse and worse. And he answered them, verse 12, pick me up, throw me into the sea so it will be calmed down for you, for I know I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Like, do you notice this? He would rather die than pray. He could have just stopped and said, Lord, I I am, I repent. I confess my sin. And, and, you know, I throw myself at your mercy. No, no. He's like, God, just throw me in the sea. I'm the reason if you get me out of the boat, then God's wrath will just fall upon me there and I will die and you can go on living your life because it's my fault. I mean, he's right about that, but he's not willing to pray yet. Just throw me in the sea. But of course, they're like, they're not very comfortable with that. Cause like, I don't want to, they don't want to tick this God off. So verse 13 says, nevertheless, the man rode hard to get back to the dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. They're like, no, no, we, we, we'll get him to the land. We, we, I don't want to be responsible. I don't want to tick this God off. So like, and they're rowing and they're rowing and rowing. Nothing's happening. Okay. Some of you will be tempted to try to build your own way out of the mess you've made. And the harder you row, the more water comes into your boat, the slower you get. And you're just wondering, why isn't it working? Because you're still trying to do it on your own. I have this quote, verse 13 here. Superficial solutions to the entanglements caused by our rebellion and disobedience seldom work. Repentance often requires radical action. Superficial solutions. Well, maybe if I went to church more, I gave more money, or if I helped people, or, you know, maybe if I just did the right things, and and God's like, you just need to turn to me. Talk to me. Let's get that right, and then we can talk about what you're doing with your life. Superficial solutions seldom work. And in verse 14, finally, they call out to the Lord. Please, Lord, 
Now, now they're praying. Do you notice? The pagan sailors who fear the Lord greatly are now praying to this God. The prophet of the Lord who has a history with this God, who was raised in Sunday school and Sabbath school and trained in the Torah and the law and has, you know, has this relationship with God, isn't praying, but the pagan sailor now is crying out to the Lord, Lord, please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life. And don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. You notice that? They recognize, you know, God, we find ourselves in the circumstances between you and this guy, and we're just the middleman. And we don't want to be responsible for his death. Notice Jonah's not jumping and throwing himself overboard, but, he, you know, he, he's, he's making these guys do his dirty work. They're like, we don't want to do this, but we got to do this, and we're told to do this, but you, you seem to be behind all this, so we're giving him to you, Lord. He's yours, and you can deal with him, but you've done as you please. We're not, we're innocent. We are not killing this man. We're just giving him back to you, Lord. You deal with him. And so it says there in verse 15, they picked up Jonah threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its rain. Can you imagine, like, the Jonah's like, you know, waves, and, and then they throw him in, and all of a sudden, stops. And Jonah is prepared to die rather than to pray. And the end of the story is verse 16, which is very interesting. The men were seized by a great fear of the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. They essentially are converted, I believe. They were pagan, idolaters, polytheists, regional gods, and now they know the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the God of creation, the God of the sea and the land, the Lord, the God of Israel, and there they are. They have this great fear of the Lord, and which is worship. The same word Jonah used, he's like, yeah, I fear the Lord. He didn't really fear the Lord because the fear of the Lord is to obey him and to follow him. But, you know, here they they are. They're fearing the Lord. They're offering a sacrifice to the Lord. They're making vows to the Lord. Like, we promise to follow you with our lives because we know now that you alone are the God. And meanwhile, Jonah is sinking to his death. And I leave the story right there because that's, I think, where the narrator wants us to leave it. What happens when you don't pray? You slowly choke out the spiritual life in your soul. And you get yourself into really bad situations. Situations that God didn't, doesn't want you to be in. But situations that we create that are unnecessary situations. And God says, you can just talk to me about it. You can turn back to me. You can repent. You can receive my forgiveness and my mercy. But you don't have to to, to sink, to sink, to sink. So here's my lessons from Jonah chapter 1. Don't ever stop talking to God. You're reading the Word and you discover something that, that obviously is incongruent with what you're doing in your life. And now the Holy Spirit has brought it to your attention. You are, you are responsible for that truth. And you're like, I don't like that truth. Uh, and and if, I, if I actually obeyed that truth, I would have to make changes in my life. I couldn't run my business the way I'm running it. I, I'd have to stop dating that person. I might have to change you know, the, the shows I watch on, on TV. I, I don't like that truth. And the Holy Spirit's like, but this is the best for you. Trust me on this one. And you need to talk to him about it. Okay, Lord, help me. I don't know if I can kick that habit. Yeah, you can. 
It might be really hard to break up with that person. Yeah, but, but I've, got, I've got a better plan for you. Trust me. Uh, don't ever stop talking to God. And if you have sinned in such a great way where you're like, man, I, I, don't th- I think I've gone over the edge. Um, there is no edge. The love and mercy of God is greater than your sin. You can always come back. Number two is uh, when you get yourself into a mess, confess and remove stress. I kind of wrote it so you could remember it. A mess, confess, remove stress, right? So, you know, you can write that down in your Bible. <laughs> so, okay. It's kind of trite, but I just realized that, like, there is an option. Confess, remove stress. That means you change the circumstances that got you to that place, right? Um, if you're living in the wrong place, if you're hanging out with the wrong friends, if, if that job is, is not the right environment for you to be in. I mean, whatever it is, confess and remove stress. Change the circumstances so that you are in a place where you can communicate with God and grow with Him. Um, but you will get yourself into a mess, so remember this. Confess, remove stress. And I say number three, prayerlessness will leave you in peril, but prayer brings peace. Nice assonance there with the P, 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 right? So prayerlessness will leave you in peril, but prayer brings peace. You want to get yourself in trouble? You want to feel like you're in a dark hole? Don't talk to God. But you want to find some light in your darkness? Turn to him and discover peace. God is actually not grading the English in your prayers. Do you know that? There's not a certain vernacular that you have to know in order to pray. You just talk to him. I, I think he prefers you not use profanity, but you know, but at times he even hears that prayer. I mean, I get it, you know, so, but just talk to him in your heart language to his heart and let him know what's going on. Ask him for help. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask him for guidance. And he will come through. Don't wait till you're sinking. Turn to him now. Prayerlessness will leave you in peril, but prayer brings peace. I'm going to invite the team up here today and um, to close the service here. And if, if you today are not a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm just inviting you that Jesus died on the cross for your sins so that you can have this opportunity to communicate with God. And so you too, you can believe in Jesus Christ and be brought into his family and have this wonderful privilege of communicating directly with the almighty Lord of creation. God, God of God's the King of Kings through Jesus Christ. And so it's a wonderful privilege. And I'm just saying to all of us here that believe in Jesus, We want to move up and out in new life in Jesus Christ. And that journey includes prayer. And it doesn't, you know, for some of you, maybe you'll get to the place where you are praying hours a day, and that would be awesome, but you don't have to. And it's not, God's not grading the time or giving you extra points for more time, but, but it's just, it's just, it's quality. God just wants to communicate, right? So you wake up like I do and you got, you got anxiety in your heart or burden, give it to him. You're driving and something overcomes you, give it to him. Some past situation brings bitterness into your heart, give it to him. It works, people. It works. Would you pray with me? Lord, we turn to you today. We receive your word. May our feet be quick to follow you. Our hands be quick to serve you. Our hearts be fully devoted to you. And guide us to a place where we can communicate with you in an ongoing way. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with the team as we sing our closing song?